Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right, everybody, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Uh, this is a really exciting week, right, Seth? Yes, we it have is. a guest. Our first guest. Our first guest. We're oh, very I'm excited. So excited. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to introduce you guys to Kristen Hatton. 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 And she uh, wrote this book called The Gospel Centered Life in Exodus Which for is, students. For students. So, so it's like, oh, there's this amazing woman who's written a book seeing the gospel in all of Exodus. We got to get her on this show. And That's so amazing. we got her on the show. So the book's with uh, New Growth Press. Uh, when did it come out? It came out in July. Okay. She, Chris and I know each other through Rooted Ministry. Oh, so awesome. it's a gospel-centered youth ministry blog and conference and movement. Movement. Uh, yeah, it's yes. very impressive. When something's a movement, you it's, know it's impressive. You know it's godly. <laughs> 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 and so Chris and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and uh, she lives here in Oklahoma City. That's awesome. Yeah, Kristen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. So I live here. My husband is a pastor, and I have three, well, gosh, I have an, a young adult now. She's in college, and then I have two high school boys, so. Oh, I'm in the thick of parenting yeah. teens. I was a high school boy once. We're the worst. <laughs> yeah. I hope yours are better than me. Oh, well, I mean, I was fine. Yeah. I was a legalist, though. That's so right. Yeah. I yeah. thought I was fine. And then I got to college. Your moralism that. kept you in line. <laughs> you weren't actually a good person. I wasn't a you good person. You were just terrified of God. <laughs> That's right. And my parents. <laughs> and your parents. That's anyway. That's why we need anyway. gospel-centered resources, <laughs> right? Yes. To bring us Kristen with the segue. Yes. There it is. That's right. We need gospel What I really resources. needed was a gospel-centered study on Exodus. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Thanks to Kristen Hatton and New Growth Press. Here we are. Thanks, guys. So um, we decided to bring you in, Kristen, on the easiest subject <laughs> ever in Exodus, which is the rules for the building of the tabernacle. Yeah, that's no light topic. <laughs> no. I mean, eight chapters or yeah, at least. It's insane. <laughs> it's a lot. I think today we're going to try to cover. Um, now, technically, we left off in 23. So we're wanting to start a little bit in 24. If we don't cover it, we can come back if we really need to focus in. That's great. But 24 to 27 and then 30 slash 31. Right, because we're skipping over the priestly garments. Which we'll get to next week. We're going to come back next week and do that. Yep. So um, I think one, one thing that's going to be really helpful for us to try to first get our handles on, there's a lot of minutia going on mm. here. There's a lot of um, acacia wood poles and golden loops and fine twined linen, so much fine twined linen. A lot of embroidery. A lot of embroidery. Cherubim. Cherubim are everywhere. So there's a lot. Uh, Calyxes. And, and, yeah, cal- <laughs> which I did not know what that was. I had to look it up. Okay. And then everything was marijuana related. <laughs> if you put in calyx in Google, it's just a whole bunch oh, of gosh. pictures of marijuana. Which is why we need more gospel-centered resources on the tabernacle, guys. we got to speak up. If you put almond calyx, yeah. which is what is like an almond brick. Anyway, this gets you closer. There we go. So, minutia. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of minutia. Um, so I, I and there's and there's importance in all of those. None of that was accidental. Uh, I know. Kristen, you have you've you've had to you've had to spend lots of time looking at those things and absolutely all those details are so important and we tend to just want to read and skip right over it mm. because it seems like just you know trivial information, but it's so important that God, that we see God in those details. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what will be really helpful is for us to care about the tabernacle first. 
and then I think that will give us a reason to kind of go into the tabernacle. Yeah, like the what is the pieces. tabernacle in general, right. and then go into right. So, um, I don't know if there's a way to work through this text like kind of systematically if we're talking about the tabernacle as a whole. Um, is there? I don't know. What well, do you, the only thing that you could probably say is like, what happens before we get to the actual commands sure. about how to build it and the architecture of it. So God promises the conquest of Canaan, which we mm-hmm. talked about last, last time. Yep. And then Moses confirms the covenant with the people and they all respond, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then at the base of the mountain, Moses builds this altar and he reads the book of the covenant. And I was like, well, what, what is exactly the book of the covenant at this point? Is it just the 10 commandments mm. and the social laws? Is this like actually like fast forward until after anyway? I was trying to figure out, like, what's the Book of the Covenant at this point? You always love the timeline questions. Yeah, the Kristen, timeline. do you have an opinion on this? Well, I do think it's very important that we remember that context, that God has given them the law, and now he's coming to build his tabernacle with them. And I, I think that we're going to probably go that direction to see why you can't separate those out from each other. Um, it's, it's very important to see that the law was not conditional on their behavior, that he mm. was coming to indwell with them um, because he had made them his children, his people. And so it wasn't, their obedience was not um, resulting in their actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Right. So the idea is not that like God is trying to put so many barriers up to getting to him. The reason there's an outer court and an inner court and a holy of holies and the laws beforehand isn't to keep people away from the presence of God but to show people how to properly enter into relationship with mm. God. So like, there's a theology of architecture happening right here and even of like narrative. And that's not to say, stay away from God. He's, he's, he doesn't want you. Mm. It's that God wants you close to him. Here's how you enter into his presence. That's interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I've ever thought about this, like the, the ratification of the law and then the tabernacle as like this, literary cohesive idea or a theologically cohesive idea i know Kristen, can you help maybe explain why it's important that we like go into a little more detail you kind of scratch the surface for us a little bit if there is a little bit more detail of like why is it important that they all said everything the lord has spoken we will do here's the book of the law now let's talk about the tabernacle Right. Well, it was just his confirmation that he is coming to indwell with them in the middle of them. And the tabernacle is located in the center. I mean, it is central to all of our life. Um, Jesus is central to all of our life. And so he is saying, I'm coming here to be with you. Um, I'm not going to leave you. So they're saying, yes, we're going to obey everything that you've said. We know, and he knew, that that is impossible apart from him. Mm. But that is not contingent on his being with them. He's going to be with them no Yeah, even what. if they disobeyed, like there's, it's in uh, one of the other books of the Bible. <laughs> it's in Joshua, right? Where like they set up like the, 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 uh, the Holy of Holies is in the middle, the tabernacle is in the middle, and the Levites are in a concentric circle around that. And the next one's a concentric circle around that. And all the nations of Israel live in concentric circles. Numbers out. sets that up. Is that what number? Yeah. That's the book of the yeah. Bible that I Yeah, that's, that, that's that book of the Bible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like even in disobedience, the center of, civilization or civilization or society for Israel is God's presence. And does that also tell us something about the nature of the law? Like why we have the law? Is it because like, okay, here's the law. Now here's the, here's the what, here's the why. And the why is now I'm present, that God's presence is what the law is all about. Like this is so you can live with me. And is that God saying like, now let's, let's make this location where we can live together. Is that what's tying these together? It's like the law is the what and the, am I way off course here? 
Right. Well, he gave the people his law because he's already made them his people. So Mm. now he's saying how you can reflect your love to me. Um, His love towards us is that he is with us and he's going to be with them in the tabernacle. And now he wants them to see how they can center their lives around him. And so the tabernacle is central to everything they do. And even, I mean, as we get into the details of the tabernacle, I mean, just imagine the smell. I mean, you're Mm. having constant sacrifices. And so, I mean, you can't escape just this constant, I mean, just imagining the Israelites all living around there. You can't ever escape um, the sights and the sacrifices sounds and the smells that are that are going on it's central it's a constant reminding them of Jesus is central um well God is central but we're going to see how Jesus is <laughs> God, they're, 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 they're used the, to this heard, trick by now yeah <laughs> I heard there's like three in one yeah there's one That's more right. yeah. there's one more okay we're going to see how it all points right. to Jesus so the centrality of the of the tabernacle here okay so the so they ratify the the law he reads from this book of the covenant uh, which question which Seth still has questions about, but <laughs> um, and then then they take up this contribution from the people of like gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and yarns and uh, fine twined linen, goats hair, all the stuff, all the all the things, all the linen. Uh, and like it's important to say where did they get this from? All the stuff, Egypt, yeah, Egypt, and it's not uh, it's not something they earned, you know, it's yeah. something that was given to them, right? Right. I mean, yeah, they got it. God gave it. God gave it to them when they left yeah. Egypt, which is crazy. And what's like all that? What was used to celebrate idols is now being used oh, in service cool. to the living God. Wow. Like these are these were in service to dead dead gods, and the one God had defeated. But He's using those things to like build the house of the living God. Yeah. Wow. So all these details, they're right. not random. I mean, they are very specific. And, and and even in how he ascribes all these, you know, the colors and the dimensions and the materials. I mean, isn't it so clear that God is in these details? I mean, he prescribes it exactly how he wants it to be. And I think it's, it's telling of how he prescribes how he wants us to worship him. Hmm. With like detail, with care, with like, is that what you're saying? Excellence, like, beauty, those kinds of things. Yes. I mean, he's not saying you can just worship me however you oh, want. This is how, you know, he it, it's symbolic of how I want you to worship me. He's showing he's showing them through the details. That Isn't it in Exodus he talks about he like for glory and beauty? Yes, that's that's actually coming up in the priestly garments. And so the reason why the um, priests like went to such lengths to like, um, do all these crazy things for their chest piece and all this stuff. God says it's for glory and for beauty. Yeah. So like, yes, it's f- to like go like, oh, that's God is God is so holy, so separate. We must enter into Him on His terms. But it's also like these are beautiful things. Like they were and made like, for beauty. And like we are supposed to like make beautiful things to image the one that is most beautiful, right? right. Like these yep. are like these are reflections of who yeah. God is. God cares about right. beauty. And obviously he's like entering in as like architecture here and interior designer and um, yeah, right. seamstress and like all Which these like things. Which sh- should like redeem for us like secular occupation, like what we call secular mm-hmm. occupation. Like God has use for interior designers and metal workers and architects in his heavenly culture. So sometimes we think like godly, godly occupations are being a pastor and oh, right, yeah. being a social worker or living as a missionary somewhere. But like, no, God has redemptive purposes for all culture creating like, uh, like 
occupation. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we bring glory to him and how we create and what we do. And so, yes, in every profession, I mean, we can bring glory to him and by doing it to um, the best. And I mean, I love the details and and to think that um, how it it reflects him. So, Kristen, what exactly? So, like, okay, so we're in Moses goes up on the mountain. Um, multiple times, actually. He goes yep. up with the elders, <laughs> and then he goes up even further on the mountain by himself, and he has a meal with God at his sapphire feet. And, which is pretty cool. Which is pretty cool. <laughs> and then after that, he goes up with Joshua for six days, mm-hmm. and then he gets called up even further in like a ball of fire, and then he's up there for 40 days. And after his time on the mountain for 40 days, he comes off the mountain and gives the directions for the tabernacle, what it's supposed to look like, its dimensions, its architecture, everything else. And that's where we get most of these details and all these kind of stuff. So maybe the best thing to do here is like, okay, God's in the details. That's important. But what is a tabernacle? Right. So we, we want to answer the question, what is a tabernacle? We want to zoom out, answer that question. Because for me, I mean, growing up as a Baptist kid going to summer camp, oh, yeah. I thought the tabernacle was the place you went to uh, like worship and go forward on Friday night. Like, so not just a sanctuary, but you had a tabernacle. We, call, we literally called it the tabernacle because, like, it started out as a tent. N- like, a like, real tent? A real giant, like, like not circus tent, but that kind of scale, you know. <laughs> and then, like, but then they put, like, a metal tin roof on it, but they kept the name. So even though it wasn't a tent anymore, they still called it the tabernacle. That's amazing. And so it's like, where, where are you going? Oh, we're going to the tabernacle. And so anyway, so that's what, when I read this in the Bible, I was like, oh, they had one of these, but it was nothing <laughs> like the one I grew up around. So, Kristen, what, what in the world is... A tabernacle. Right. Well, it is, in a sense, a tent because it is not a permanent structure. Right. So, I mean, it's a tent that's going with them so that God can dwell with them along the journey. I mean, it, it like, blows my mind to think about all these inner details of the tabernacle to, like, how does that all fit in a tent? Because, you know, <laughs> what we picture what a tent is, so that's crazy. But um, Yeah, like, I think of a tent. It's like, oh, like, I can fit in there, and I can't stand up properly because right. I'm over six foot tall, and it's yeah. really uncomfortable, and I'm cold all the time. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, then you read the book of Numbers, and it's like you have, okay, this part of the tribe of Levites, you guys do the tent pegs. And this part of the, the, the tribe of Levi, you guys grab the candlesticks. And like, it like it's like this detailed list of how on earth are you going to carry this massive structure from one place to another. Right. So, yeah, keep going. To pick like, it up yeah. and to set it up. And then it's you've got thing. the Holy of Holies and the courtyard and the camp. I mean, it's like there's so much in that tent. I can't even imagine. But ultimately, I mean... The tabernacle is where God comes to dwell with his people. And we're going to see how um, it reflects Jesus is the true tabernacle um, through like all God's these details. God's presence, like his like. So that the whole point of the tabernacle is that this is where God dwells, right? Right, right. Okay. right. This is where you meet God. Right. This is where you... Is there, a, is there a parallel to this in, like, the ancient Near East culture that they were around? Like, was this something that everybody had? I mean, they had temples... But would it be very different for them to have a movable structure? Is that? I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't think to look up this question. But, that is a good question. But it's like I think what's what's cool about the fact that it's movable is like is this is this part of it is like the movable structure of the tabernacle seems to me to be a fulfillment of some of the promises that he, that God made to um, Moses in Exodus three. He said, "I'll be with you," right? right. So like the tabernacle, I'm gonna be with you. And and he's like, and I'm going to bring you into the land that I promised to your fathers. So it's like, 
well, I can't just be with you here on this mountain and then go away because this mountain's not movable, right? So I got to put myself into a movable structure right. so we can I can be with you as we go to where I've promised to take you. We do know it's different from the surrounding relig- religions in the specificity of the structure. Really? And, well, yeah, because in, in all the other surrounding religions, you don't have a covenant or a law relationship so like in all the the ancient near eastern religions the hebrew people are the only people who consider their relationship god to be covenantal Mm. where god has said here's how i want you to obey me and here's how i will respond to you so all the other gods were capricious you didn't know what they if whether or not they would accept your sacrifice making it up as you go you kind of make it up as you go and you're always a little worried that you're out of step so the fact that the lord has said here's specifically how i want to be worshipped here's specifically what my my tabernacle will be like is is it's a huge development on ancient near east religion in general and more than that the fact that it can move is also profound right because all the other gods of the surrounding nations were location based right Geography so much gods. so like in naaman in the book of naaman what's the, what is <laughs> the <book? laughs> For, i'm bad on my bible names <laughs> today in kings when naaman it gets healed in the yeah. river you know what he does he takes a whole bunch of earth and brings it back with him to his kingdom because he thinks the gods in the oh earth oh my gosh and so what's happening here is like the fact that the tabernacle can move says no god is the lord of all the earth oh and then is that like like that that was part of god's original plan for the world for his glory to cover the earth so is that what we're seeing here is like a little a hint of that is like god's presence his glory filling the tabernacle and then it moves is like my glory is going to cover the earth as Habakkuk says later as water covers the sea yeah you can go nowhere where the lord's presence will not go with you. that's cool i'm getting excited also (laughs) interesting the greek verb to tent Mm. it resembles the hebrew word shekinah which is to describe god's glory oh so I don't know if we want to get into Let's get into John, that. Let's get into that. But I mean, <laughs> the me word excited. became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's John 1, right? John 1, okay. 14, right. And so the Greek derivative of that word dwell, dwelt mm-hmm. among us, is related to pitching a tent. And so then, we, you know, I said tent resembles Shekinah, God's glory. Um, so what John is telling us upon Jesus's arrival is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So Jesus is the Shekinah glory that mm. filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40. So what the Israelites have is is just a shadow or a copy. We mm. learned that in Hebrews 8, um, right. that all of this, what they have is what we see in full through Jesus. Right. They had a copy of that. Um, that so we see this, we see this moving temple, which says God is God's glory will go out to the entire world. Right. We see Jesus, God's cl- glory, coming to live in a particular person who then fills up his followers with his spirit, with his glory. So, oh, like, I, so now, now we're little tabernacles. Like, now we're little tabernacles. And how does God's glory spread over the face of the, the, the sea? Like over the face, face of, of the world? world. It's we, like through around. <laughs> it's like by us walking around, by wow. Christians going into each nation of the world, you become the embodiment of the temple that moved and proved to all the other surrounding nations that your gods might be location-based, but the God the God I serve walks with me. Wow. And like, I will go and I'll spread the gospel. And yeah. so here's the question. How do we get that? How, how do we get oh. to being temples that move around? It's because Jesus is the curtain that was ripped in two. Mm. There's this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where God's presence was from the rest of the people, not as a way to keep God away, but in order to like make sure that we had access properly to not to 
come. And so how do we get access properly? Mm-hmm. By Jesus being ripped into for us. Right. He's the one that makes it possible that we can be in relationship with God's glory and presence and spread it throughout the world without being harmed by the power of God. Mm. So God made, or Jesus, through Jesus' death, you're saying he, he made a way, because like we, we see in the Gospels that after Jesus died, this veil was torn in two, God's, which is signifying to us that God's glory can now come out to us. And yes. so that's how we are filled as little tabernacles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he was that ultimate sacrifice. So now there's no longer a need for all these animal sacrifices that take place in the tabernacle that, um, or the priest that that goes in for the people. Now we have access to Jesus on yeah. our own. Amazing. Um, and then, and then, since we're doing a, a zoom out, I'll just I'll finish the zoom out, and then we can zoom into the particular parts of the tabernacle. So we have uh, you have this uh, uh, initial tabernacle. I'm, I'm with you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna walk with you to deliver you to my promised land. And as we do this, my glory is gonna cover the earth. Uh, Jesus comes at, and uh, and and Yahweh tabernacles in a human body, right? Right, and um, he makes a way. For uh, he fulfills the tabernacle by doing all of the rituals and rites and sacrifices um, that were supposed to take place in there. Jesus does perfectly, and in his final death, which is the final act uh, that that consummates all the works of the tabernacle, the veil is torn, and the Shekinah glory of God comes out into the world to indwell his believers as little tabernacles that then do what Jesus did go and bring the kingdom, the presence of God to the world. And then finally, what will happen is the the glory of God in Jesus Christ will come and and tabernacle the whole world, and right. the whole world will be his tent, right? Right, and we also get that in this text too. What? Yeah, <laughs> because this is like, so the tabernacle is supposed to be like a mini picture of the Garden of Eden. Yes. Yes. So... So you both said yes. Ah. We did. So you should tell me why. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Well, we are talking about the calyxes. So we've got the calyxes. calyxes. Okay, so so we went to the end. Now let's go back to the yeah. beginning is yeah. what we're doing here. Okay, Kristen, do you want to talk about Garden of Eden and why it's about the tabernacle? Well, in the Garden of Eden, everything was in right relationship with each other. Yeah. I mean, everything was in right relationship with God and Adam and Eve with each other and all of create. We were given the creation mandate, so we were over all of creation. Yep. And then, you know, the fall happens and it's all topsy-turvy. But what we see in the tabernacle is just this right relationship of everything centralizing around Christ. I didn't even think about that. Just like the details and the perfect like symmetry of the architecture actually like reflects the Garden of Eden just Mm. by its its design. Right. And the Garden of Eden is the place where like God walked in the cool of the day and could commune with his people. And that's what we're trying to get back to here. I mean, the story of, of Genesis, if you kind of trace it out, is... Moving, moving farther and farther away from God, east of Eden, east, 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 moving east. And then now we're back and there's a new entrance into the garden, into the yeah. presence of God. And what do we find um, that's guarding the presence of God in the Holy of Holies? It's the same thing that was guarding the entrance to Eden. It was a cherubim a with cherubim. a flashing sword. Mm-hmm. And then in the Holy of Holies, we have cherubim around the mercy seat of God where he, w- he said he would meet with the priest. And it's like, oh, this is Eden right. again. This is and exactly right. We talked about, um, you talked about the covenant of, of creation, the covenant of care, right. where um, Adam and Eve are to tend the garden and to work it, to cultivate it. And those same Hebrew verbs we see for like tending and caring 
are the same ones used uh, to say what the priests are supposed to be doing in the tent. They're supposed to care for the tent, work in the tent. It's that same language. So right. uh, we're, it's amazing. This is so the new have, Garden of Eden. So you have a tabernacle with an entrance facing east, yep. just like, the, just Garden like of Eden. the Garden of Eden. You have cherubim guarding it, just like the Garden of Eden. You even have in the tapestry itself, like flowers and right. images of like plant life. You have the tree of life which is the lampstand, lamp and is described yeah. as if it was a tree. Right. You also have the tree of knowledge, because you have the law. The law. You have the law. And then you have God dwelling with his people mm-hmm. in the tabernacle, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, and like everything's gold, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it, it's it's no coincidence that these rivers that run through Eden that were told in uh, Genesis 2, I think 4 I and 5 or 3 and 4, that. are full of gold. That's right. Mm. And it's like, wow. and now everything's covered in gold. And it's like, this is Eden. This is Eden. <laughs> yeah. I wow. didn't talk about that one. I mean, it is just amazing <laughs> to see how all of scripture relates to each other. All of it. Yeah. And this mini picture of Eden is what Jesus brings with him. Like This is what he's bringing on the inside of us. Oh, it's yeah. what we're spreading to the entire world. And it's what God will bring down and from what is, heaven and, on the and last what day. Is that, that's right relationship. Right with 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 creation with one another with him it's dwelling with God forever right it's, it's beholding per- His glory it's perfect life perfect it's life perfect knowledge of His will and His ways mm. and having His presence with us and that's in the, us and yeah that's the goal that's all of it right right there. I mean yeah <laughs> so the question that like a lot of us have to ask ourselves then when we think of this like okay we can get really excited about the new heaven coming to earth mm. and getting all a right relationship with creation, a right relationship with one another, like the riches of a world put right. But one of the questions that uh, our pastor puts to us, he says, um, what if you had everything? Right. What if you had all the benefits that God could give you? Perfect health, perfect life, perfect relationships with one another, but God wasn't there. Right. Would that be enough? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's like, <laughs> do I uh, want, do I want heaven or do I want God? Yeah. Yeah. And, the tabernacle helps us like ask that question yeah. because like, do you want Eden mm. or do you want what's behind the Holy of Holies that Christ yes. has been torn to for? Mm. Mm. Okay. So um, now we want to try to get into the details and you know, Seth, yes, they, 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 they say <laughs> that the devil is in the details. Oh, but but we're but we're gonna find Jesus in the details. You, you are so right. <laughs> I nailed that, I, Kristen. I'm, I apologize for that one. That's bad. Oh no, you're bad. we're be, we're better than that. Hey, we're we're finding that Dave and I's dynamic doesn't necessarily work well with other people. <laughs> like, Does not we, play well with others. We like want to invite other people in, but like, oh, we're pretty awkward. <laughs> yeah. We're really awkward. So leaning into that. Details. Detail. Let's start where the text starts. The first detail we see then is the Ark of the Covenant. And that is essentially God's throne. Why do you say that? Well, because more broadly, mm-hmm. the tabernacle is actually like the palace oh, for yeah. the divine king. He's enthroned on the Ark of the Covenant. He's in the innermost chamber and his royalty is like symbolized by the purple and the curtains oh, and the yeah, blue. Yeah. That's good. Uh, all the gold. And, and all the gold and is and the way that the even the, the, the materials it's made out of, you have gold in the innermost chambers, silver in the next, and then bronze in the outside. Right. So as you move towards the Holy of Holies, you get more and more regal as yeah. you move in. So like this is like God's throne room. Is the is this the um is the mercy seat something different than this? 
It is the same thing, is it? It is. And I would even add that the ark's lid was an atonement cover that symbolizes how through sacrifice. Tell us more about atonement cover. Yeah, atonement <laughs> cover. I'm like, I got Mercy I'm excited. seat and atonement cover. We need to unpack this. <laughs> well, God covered his people's failure. So that is the um, symbolism in this c- cover. Like we're covered by Jesus's sacrifice. Um, so we see that in the ark's lid that... Um, even though the people are going to fail to keep his commandments, as we all do, um, we're covered. So because they would take the once it was just the Day of Atonement, which we'll get to in Leviticus. But um, once a year, they would bring the blood into the Holy of Holies and they would put it on God's throne on this Ark of the Covenant. And, And so that's that's the that's the lid. Right. And so you're saying, like, that's a picture that just as this lid covers up, um, you know, what's inside of it, which is the law that we constantly break, you know, and everything like that. The God, uh, what's over it, God's presence in which we can't dwell in our sin. The blood comes and covers it up, and in that same way, it's like a we have a lid over us. We have a covering over us, and it's this this sacrifice that's made. Yeah. Is that, I mean, it yeah. makes. I right. never makes thought of it. The lid. I never. I never. Yeah. I never knew the lid was important to the Ark of the Covenant. It's well, all important. All those details. <laughs> it makes it makes mercy seat make a little bit more sense. Too like mercy seat, yeah, such a strange phrase. It but really like, is. What that means is like your sins are covered. Mm-hmm. Like you can come in my presence because they've been covered for by and a sacrifice. They've yeah. been covered. They've been atoned for. They've been taken care of. And isn't this the? Isn't this where we get? Isn't this where the word helasmas comes from? Ooh, that's a big word. Isn't, isn't that right though? Atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice. <laughs> the Greek okay. word for atoning sacrifice or propitiation, oh, propitiation for the King James okay. fans out there. Uh, yeah, like this is like. We have know. an advocate for the before the Father. Like First John talks about this stuff. It's propitiation. The halasmos, I think, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Let's not get everyone confused. But basically what we're trying to say here, believe me or not, with the grammatical threads I'm trying to go, but I, I know that there is a connection between the word halasmos and this mercy seat that we're talking about. So it's like Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, right, that covers right. us. Right. Yeah? Yes. Okay. So... Yeah, that's Romans 3. Uh, Romans 3.25. It talks about that exact thing. So mercy seat atonement cover is referenced in Romans 3.25. Oh. It's like this is the way in which we're saved, that Jesus covers us. Amazing. Yeah. No one can see this, but Seth was like rifling through multiple books, and then, <laughs> and then he's like, ah, ah, Romans Romans reference! <laughs> so yeah, that's great. Okay, that's good. So we're not crazy. That That's exciting. Okay, so the lid's important, the Ark of the Covenant. Anything else we want to talk about the Ark of the Covenant before we move on to the table of bread? Oh, it's justifying everything we've said. Oh, go ahead. Uh, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Um, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. And the word propitiation here is the same word used here to describe the mercy seat. Right. And so again, I think one of the things that's important, whenever I read the Old Testament, I'm always quick to assume like a bloodthirsty God wanting yeah. to like drink blood on his throne. But like, no, like he is providing a way for us to interact with him despite what we deserve. Right. Like, Kings don't have to interact with their pe- the peasants. No. But the Lord is providing a way to always interact with the people that he's created and that he loves. It's a seat of mercy. It's yes. a seat of hearing. Right. And, and ultimately, it's like we can't see a bloodthirsty God who is just like all the other pagan gods when we know that all of these sacrifices that will the, whose blood will be poured on this mercy seat cover um, point to Jesus. 
that ultimately it's not just, well, give me all your, your sheep and your pigeons and like, that's what I want. It's like, no, all this is a picture of the self-substituting God who is to come, that it will be his blood that is shed. And so it's like, whenever we, whenever we, if you're ever like really thrown for a loop by all this blood, just remember like, this is all a picture of God's blood. Right. And how cool that he was the sacrifice and the priest. Oh, he was yeah. both roles. So amazing. He's the sacrifice. He's the priest. He's the tabernacle. He's, he's the, the curtain. He's the, the, the mercy seat itself. He's the mercy seat itself. <laughs> he's, he's, he's all of it. He's the curtain that's torn in two. Oh, my like, goodness. He's, yeah. he's everything. Okay. And then taking yeah. it out to the holy place. I mean, he's the bread. He's yeah, let's the talk about, Let's talk about the table of bread. So that's next. The, 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 the table for bread. What What is going on here? The showbread? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I don't know anything about the showbread. I've been like, <laughs> I don't know anything about the showbread. Kristen, tell us about the showbread. Why do you have to show Well, it? ultimately, Jesus is the bread of life. Right. I think it's interesting. They kept the bread fresh, always. I mean, it was just not like just per, stale bread. Perpetual baker? Per, yeah, yeah, somebody <laughs> was, was it doing manna? that. I don't think so. No. Yeah, well, they never call it that. I don't but, think it was manna. Well, where did they get the grain from if they're in the wilderness for 40 years? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was manna. I mean, it definitely relates. I mean. That's a good question. Yeah, that well, is a good question. If it is the manna, uh-huh. Jesus literally says, I am, I, the am. Bread, I am the bread, bread of life. life. That came down from heaven. That came down from heaven. So like he's referencing the manna already. And mm. so is that the, also the manna that's in the presence of the Lord? Oh, my goodness. And that's it's amazing. always there. And then that, that lampstand that is in that same room. I mean, that light never stops burning. Right. So he said, I'm the light of the world. Right, right. Oh, are all these references to the tabernacle? I think, I think they might be. I mean, it's, I mean, it's amazing. And like he, you know, like Israel was supposed to be this light. You know, it's like God would go out in this pillar of fire and this pillar of cloud and like light up the dark for them. Like, and then that's happening inside too in this lampstand. And Jesus says, like that light that led you around the world that showed the world my my glory, the light inside that continually illuminated. Um, the place where I was dwelling, like I'm that. I am the thing that the world sees and, and and reflects the glory of God, and I am also the thing that lights up the court where you can meet with God. I am the light of the world. I don't know. I mean, it's that's crazy. And one more, the and altar more. of incense is also in there, and that points to Jesus's life and death as a pleasing aroma that mm. rises up to God's throne and intercedes with the Father on our behalf. Right. So we see him in that. In and the and there's a there's too. in one of the New Testament epistles, we're called a pleasing aroma. Like we carry the bot yes. we carry the death of Christ with us always. And to some it's the aroma of life, to some it's the aroma of death. And it's like so I think that that's a definitely a if you want to call it a proof text for like Jesus is this or this this sacrifice always going up to the Father. He is the altar of incense who's always putting forth this aroma that is life to us. Seth, you are looking like overwhelmed. I, no, I'm thinking about like <laughs> this is like God's house. Yeah. So the t- the tabernacle is like His presence. It's His kingly throne room. It's all these things. But I'm also just thinking of it like as a home. Mm. Like God dwells with us. He lives in us. Like He makes His home in us. Yeah. And so like we have a seat. We have a bread to eat with him. We have yeah. light to see him by. Oh, that's good. We have a place to wash our hands and to make sure that we're clean from our journey. And so I just also think about like the intimate, the intimacy that this also like communicates, like God provides water continually, light continually, his food like continually. food continually. Yeah. He's always sitting, continually. he's yeah. always sitting and listening oh like a good king or a good father. He provides an opportunity to wash if you're dirty from your travels. I was like, like what a, intimate picture that we also see in Jesus, like who 
does this. I th- I'm thinking of the, the, the Last Supper. Like he sits with his disciples, even the ones that are about to betray him. He mm. breaks bread for them. Uh, it's light, It's dark outside, we're told, but he's inside the light with his, you know, he's mm-hmm. in a lit room with his disciples. He washes their feet. Yeah. Like, and those, I mean, those are all kind of like, that's kind of allegorical, but like, I'm just thinking like But how, it's all there woven throughout all of scripture, these yeah. themes of light and bread and... That's amazing. Um, so, man, I just I want to I want us to keep kind of going here because the, then after we see the, the 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 golden lampstand, then we get a picture of all of these different curtains that surround the tabernacle. And um, I mean, what's going on here? Why, why are there so many curtains? <laughs> like, and why are they all different shapes and different thicknesses and different colors? Uh, Kristen, any any thoughts on this? Well, I do know that um, there. are Right now, the Israelites cannot fully enter God's presence. They need a priest. They need the sacrifice. Right. So like Seth talked about earlier, that um, later, once Jesus comes, the, the curtain is torn. So right now we see that that God is with them and his presence is with them, but there's still that barrier. There's separation. There's separation. Yeah. And so in, 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 until Christ comes, we don't know that um, fullness of what the tabernacle is picturing. But now mm. we know him fully, um, and we all these other things are gone away because it was fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. And we see the, the uh, embroidered in these curtains are the cherubim again. Yeah. So it's like you got to pass through the cherubim like you would have had to at the gate of Eden, Eden. to get right. into God's presence. So that's pretty cool. And then you, we alluded to it earlier, but let's talk about it. Is this like, this is where we see the different levels of curtains. So it's like, okay, there's this outermost boundary, right. uh, you know, and then you have like... With all the bronze in that one. And right. You have the second innermost boundary, right. all the silver and the, the curtain and then the gold. And there's like different thicknesses even of the curtains yeah. as you get in. And it's just trying to show visibly that like you are getting into more and more holy space as right. you get closer and closer to God, um, which is amazing then in Christ that we see that... God, that Jesus left the Holy of Holies, right? He left his actual throne room to kind of walk the opposite direction out from right. the gold, out from the silver, out from the bronze, out through the common court, and then out into the world. And like he left the tabernacle right. and, 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 and it proves came to what us. I, I said earlier. It's like we, it, the, all these structures weren't meant to keep people out as if God didn't want to be with his people. Mm. They were to ensure proper entrance into his presence. Right, it was grace. It was grace. Right. And so the fact that Jesus moves out of the temple oh breaks, it's like, that's actually proof that God's presence, is, he's always wanted to dwell with his people. Yes. He's always wanted to live among us. And yeah. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. And so we haven't talked about the, uh, the bronze altar, which is what we see next. Which would be the first? I think if, if I'm right here, it, it would be thing. the first thing you would come to when you entered into the temple grounds, right? The tabernacle grounds. You have the. Is that right, Kristen? <laughs> yes. So um, the bronze altar of sacrifice points to the place where Jesus's blood was poured out for our sins. Mm-hmm. So it's just this constant reminder, as I talked about in the beginning, that there was this the smell that just took over the campground and the tabernacle. I mean, the people could not escape the stench of their sin mm. through this. I mean, that's why we need a sacrifice, but it was just a reminder. Yeah. I'm no, I don't know if I've ever thought about the 
altar as a reminder of sin. And so, the, no. cause, because the bronze altar is where the sacrifices were actually done. It's the first thing that you see. Right. And Which is, what, what does that say to you as someone trying to approach God? It's like, oh, hey, welcome to the tabernacle. Time to kill something. It's like, what is right. that? It's like, it's the first thing you have to do is because that stench that you talked about that's always there is this constant heavy reminder looming over the camp of Israel that your hearts are always wicked, that you're always breaking God's commandment, that you always have sin that need to be atoned for. So the first thing, if you want to enter into God's presence, like you got to realize that he's holy and you're not. Yeah. So you got to, something has to be done here. And then how redemptive when you walk into that next sphere, like there's a bowl of incense. Right. That's supposed to wash away the smell of your sin. Yeah. And like now like, you go from a, a terrible smell of dead animals and rotting carcasses, burnt hair, to this, as we'll find later, like these expertly crafted bits of perfumes and artisanal, artisanal the hipsters <laughs> of the first century, hipster <laughs> incense, uh, yeah, essential oils being diffused. But it is amazing. It's like you move from the aroma of death to the aroma of life because of the sacrifice, and that's what Christ does. Like our lives are nothing but a stench of death, nothing but hopelessness. And then when Christ's blood is shed on the altar for us, we enter into the presence of God. And what was in our nostrils that was just death and decay is now life and beauty and 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 uh, frankincense and myrrh no. <laughs> and hipsters and hipsters. Yeah. Okay. Great. So what 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 haven't we talked about yet? I think we have not talked about the laver, right? We haven't the laver. Do you want to talk about? Or do the you, laver? you say do you say laver or laver? I think. Neither. I Neither. don't what use do you that say? word. You don't, oh, you don't use that word? Do you say the washing basin? Do you say the washing machine? The washing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's the the wash the washing base, the yeah, basin. Yeah, I, I think it's in my Bible it's just called the bronze basin. I have the uh, I have the confusing Bible edition mm. with, with words you don't use anymore. Well, labor just means it's it's from Latin to wash. Oh, great! I didn't know that. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this washing station. So it was after you went to the bronze altar and major sacrifice, then you would come and wash, right? Right. So once again, we see Jesus because Jesus ultimately washes and cleanses us Mm -hmm. because he is the living water. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's amazing. So it's like any of the blood that's still on you from the sacrifice, it's not only because you're not only like atoning for sin in the sacrifice, you're also then coming and becoming ritually clean. And so in Jesus's death, what that shows us is that not only does he take our unrighteousness, right? He gives us his righteousness. He not only takes our uncleanliness, the penalty for our sin, he gives us his cleanliness and the beauty of his righteousness. Like we're not only atoned for, we're now clean. Yes. Like ritually pure. So like God doesn't just look at us and go, all right, fine. I won't punish you because I dealt with your sin. He looks at you and goes, oh, come in. Like you belong here. You're clean. You're holy You're and holy. righteous. Oh, that's like, so that's cool. That's amazing. So like right before you enter into the tent, you get you get washed. Yeah. And now you can come into the tent. That's so cool. I think maybe as a way to sum, summarize a lot of what we're talking about here. So we've basically gone through each major section, the outside, I think so. yep. the, the inner, and the holiest inner, inner, inner yep. section. <laughs> but like in the very end of the book of Exodus, so after all this happens, Moses and the people of Israel do the golden calf thing and there's repentance and whatever else. Moses finally tries to go into the temple, into the tabernacle after it's built, mm-hmm. and he's prevented from doing it. He can't go in. Yeah. And then you have the whole book of Leviticus, which is even more regulations on how exactly to approach God, what types of sacrifice are to be offered on that altar, how you get there. And the final verse of the book, verse of the book of Leviticus is, and God, and 
Moses walked into the presence of the Lord. Yeah. So you have this sense of anticlimax in the book of Exodus, like all this leading up to finally dwelling with God's God, with God, being with God, and Moses can't. Mm. He can't do it. And so there's this sense that we're we're waiting and we're looking for a proper way to interact with God still. Yeah. And that's given to us in the book of Leviticus, and then we're able to enter in. And so what we're saying really is like, if you were balling up the book of Leviticus, placing it in the middle of the tabernacle and saying, really, what Moses needed was, if he wanted to be there right then in that moment, he needed Jesus. Yeah. He needed Jesus to be the sacrifice on the altar. He needed Jesus to wash him yes. clean. He needed Jesus to be the bread that he ate. He needed to be Jesus to be the light for the world. He needed to be the incense that was offered. He needed to be the curtain that was torn in two. And he needed Jesus to be the blood on the mercy seat so that he could have access with the Father. Yes. And I love that um, it was this house. Like, let me build this house for us to live together. Oh, but by the way, there's an altar and a laver and incense and all these things that have that like are here. And it's like, why are these parts of the house here if we were just meant to kind of come in and hang out with God? And it's like he knew before the golden calf happened that all these things would have to be there. There would have to be provision for sin and like there would have to be a way for sacrifice to happen and a way for people to be cleansed even before the breaking of the covenant actually occurred, Mm -hmm. which makes me just think about like the fact that Jesus was the lamb who covenanted with the world to be slain before the, before the foundations of the world. Like, he he was always, it was like in the, oh, oh, think about this. Because um, he constantly says that, um, the, that, uh, that the tabernacle is a copy of heaven. That, like, I've got this copy of the tabernacle up here in heaven, and I want you to have, like, a, 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 right. a the blueprint so you can kind of see what heaven's like. And it's like, so that means that up in the heavenly courtrooms with, with God, like, where, where he lives in God's house... Um, there was this bronze basin and there, and there was this like altar and like, why is all this stuff here? Right. Oh, it's not that those things were there. Were there. It's all Jesus. Right. Jesus was forever the altar. Jesus mm-hmm. was forever the bronze basin where we would be washed. Jesus is forever the bread of life, forever the light of the world. Like before the foundations of the world. I just had this picture. <laughs> oh no. Have you ever see that TV show Prison Break? No. <laughs> <laughs> he had like tattooed on his body a map of the... Of the prison, and that's how he escaped. I just imagine Jesus like tattooed with all these all ways the of, for our escape. That's <laughs> that was really all these stupid. Well, I like Jesus, told... heaven and earth meet. I mean, oh, Jesus yeah. fulfills everything in the tabernacle. So we have this picture. He gives us this picture yeah. to see. Okay, let's end with this. Um, it, when we get to Revelation and the coming of the new heavens, the new earth, what's missing? The tabernacle. <laughs> Right. There's no longer any temple, it yeah, says. Yeah, they pull back the curtain and it's... it's there's it's it, not The structure's gone. Right. Why? Because huh? Jesus is there. Because yeah. Jesus is all of it. Like, that, that's what yeah. we're talking about. Like, the perfect substance that the tabernacle was only a shadow of has come. So we don't need the shadow anymore. We don't need the copy because Jesus right. is with us. Hmm. And he's so he, cool. He's the presence of how of Revelation God. relates back. Oh, it's amazing. Um, okay, Kristen, will you tell us just a little bit more about um, your book and uh, kind of what people could expect when they read it? Um, and then again, maybe where, where you would want to point them to find it. Sure. The book is called The Gospel Centered Life in Exodus for Students. It's written primarily for high school and college students as a small group resource. So there's 12 lessons, each can be done in an hour's time. The book includes leaders' notes. Um, 
And all of it, all 12 lessons point to Jesus. Hmm. Um, But I did it in such a way that I really want students to see um, how the gospel in a book like Exodus is relevant to our everyday life, because I think a lot of times we don't understand how the Old Testament speaks into what we're going through here today. Right. It's really good. I'm having all my, we're preaching through the book of Exodus right now in our student ministry, and mm-hmm. all my leaders are using it for their um, small groups. For their small groups. Oh, awesome. Even though we don't have an hour, we're using it as a great way to like, here's here's a whole bunch of great exercises and questions that you can ask based on these, on these texts that are going to be a great resource for you, and our leaders have loved it. Well, that's amazing. That's so good to hear. And someone could use it just as their own personal quiet time, that's too, what, just that's to help them dive ask. deeper okay. into, you know, each section of that's great so yeah if you're listening and you're like man i i love listening to seeing jesus and all of exodus but i'd love to be able to kind of take it at my own pace and work through it devotionally we could not recommend Kristen's book uh, higher to you so what um where, where should they go to find it um my publisher is new growth press so you can find it there it's on amazon um you can find me in the book also on my website which is just my name kristenhatton.com Amazing. And we'll, we'll include links to uh, her, her book. We'll include links to the website, uh, to your social media handles and all that stuff on the description here. So mm-hmm. make sure you give Kristen a follow and uh, buy her book and support her. Tell people about this book because it's like, why wouldn't you want a, like a 12 guides to just see Jesus in all of Exodus in this simple uh, profound way. I mean, it's such a it's such a valuable resource. So thank you for writing it, Kristen, sure. like, on behalf of yeah. the church at large. I think it's it's just such a valuable resource. And thank you for joining us today Thanks on the show. Thanks for including me. It's yeah, of fun. course, of course. And Deep Kristen admitted before she got here that she has not liked our show on iTunes yet. <laughs> she hasn't? She hasn't. She hasn't submitted a review? She has not. I'm going to do that so today. So don't be like Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> only in this one way. In, only this in one way. In being sweet and intelligent and loving Jesus, be all those things but about Kristen. But in this way of not doing not, the So thing. leave a review on our show. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's what I'm to say. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I will do that today. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, it's been a blast having Kristen on the show, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and view more of our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.